This is Lifetime Sentence, the podcast where we watch bad Lifetime original movies and compare them to the truly heinous stories that inspired them. Because sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. Hey, so how's it going? Well, I have a bone to pick with you. Oh, God, what did I do? You know how you're out there, like, making us famous with our Weaponize Your Privilege t-shirt? Okay, so I was going to talk about this. So you go first, and then I'll tell you the thing I was going to say. I don't have one. It's on the way. By on the way, I mean I forgot your address, so I couldn't order it whenever I thought about it last night at 2 in the morning. Um, So it will be sent to you. So it's on the way, like, when my sorority sister is like, oh, I'm totally on my way. Uh Uh-huh. But she's still in the shower? Yeah, absolutely. Got it. Okay. Yeah. No. So what I was going to say is... um, I thought about that being like my positive thing of the week. Cause I told you I want to try to do that. So, um, long story short, I got asked to be in like a PSA about black lives matter and they're going to mash up like our, I have a dream state speech uh, statements against Martin Luther King's speech. And, um, the people asked me to talk about that. I have a dream that uh, privilege will only be weaponized for good. And so I just wanted to thank you, Aaron, that as a white man, Stop, I, I get to that. stand on the right side of history. I get to take the words that you said and be famous for it. And that is what a white man's true duty is in this life to take credit for things he didn't do. Yeah, we're gonna have to rework your wording for that uh, for that commercial for that PSA. I'm sure I can get something down for you. No, like but- according to my friend, I have a dream. <laughs> Aaron says I have to say that I have a dream too. But no, I am so excited and I am so honored. Um, I am beside myself, A, that our simple shirt that I love so much garnered that kind of attention, but B, that it garnered the attention the way you intended it when you said those words, and um, that we are on the edge of a movement starting, Erin, and it's all your fault. Well, I just want to point out that, again, I don't have one of these shirts, even though it's something that I said. (laughs) I I would like to remind you that it had COVID on it and you did not want that. But I got it anyway. Right. But then neither of us was up for any kind of male antics. It's true. Oh, you know what I should have said? That you should blame Trump. It's been in the mail for weeks. (laughs) He canceled it. (laughs) Well, that ship has sailed. Damn. Can we go back in now time? Now I know the truth. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix that in post. Nobody will ever know. You try to fix that in post, I will ruin your life. <laughs> I mean, I don't have much of a life to ruin, so. You have a wonderful life to ruin. I promise. <laughs> okay, so you know how I went out of town this weekend and like did absolutely nothing, and it was wonderful. Yeah. That you came back and now you have to do things. Well, when I terrible when I got home yesterday, Winston literally hugged me, put his arms like his front paws around me, and laid on me for fifteen <gasps> minutes. Like you're never allowed to leave I me. I love then. that. <laughs> I'm dying. Meanwhile, my cat just clawed me in the back because I wasn't paying enough attention. And to then her. tried to <laughs> climb out the front door. She's like done with you. 
First of all, that's the balcony door. And second of all, she's not going anywhere because I'm three stories off the ground. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, she Rapunzel. Still I didn't realize you had a balcony though. door. Yes, because I'm fancy. <laughs> hey, Iggy. Yeah. I'm just thinking I'm bossy now. I almost sang that, and then I remember that's not the song that you said. Like, <laughs> first things first, like I'm the realist. And now Juniper is trying to uh, um, be the one in the good green light lighting, and I just can't have that. Right. So She's finding good selfie lighting. She was clearly yeah. a cat made for you. <sighs> she is. <laughs> We're both super bitchy and annoying. So... <laughs> Speaking of bitchy and annoying, we like to eat. <laughs> hi, this is Lifetime Sentence, and I'm bitchy. And I'm annoying? <laughs> hey! Okay, if I'd set up that I'm annoying, then that would be me calling you bitchy, and men are never allowed to say that, even if they think they are. I'd rather be bitchy than annoying. Okay, I'm happy being annoying. This is Lifetime Sentence, and we're having an identity crisis. I'm annoying. <laughs> and I'm bitchy. <laughs> I don't care. All right. Want to talk about this movie? I would love to. This week I watched and Rules, A Murder to Remember. Bum, bum, bum. It was produced by Robin Givens. Okay. Sorry, I'm eating popcorn because I haven't eaten. Yeah, we're starting. both eating dinner on the microphone like the classy professionals we are. Yeah. Um, it stars Maddie Nichols. She plays Robin. She was in The Outsider, Darlin, <clears throat> The Purge, and that show 911. Ooh, um, hold on. Tracy Toms is in 911. And the guy from Parenthood. Yeah. I don't watch Parenthood. But was Lauren Graham in Parenthood? Yeah, okay. That's the correct show I was thinking. Parenthood I didn't watch, but I watched Dirty Sexy Money, and he was in that, too. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Leslie Hendricks. Oh. Sorry. There, the house is now falling around, oh. uh, down around me. Um, Do you remember the first five or six episodes we recorded that something fell on me every time we recorded? <laughs> yes. I guess now it's my turn. Your turn. Um... Leslie Hendricks, she plays Sheriff, who I call Sheriff Tootsie Roll. (laughs) (laughs) It will become clear why soon. Um, She played Dr. Elizabeth Rogers for like 12 years on Law & Order and Law & Order SVU. Okay. Um, T.C. Matherney, he plays Sam. He's from Godzilla, True Detectives, so True good. Detective, The First, and Antebellum. And then finally, we have Carolyn McCormick, who plays Celeste, who is Robin's mom. She's also from Law and Order. She also plays a doctor. Um, she's also from Star Trek, like old school back in the 90s. Um, oh, The Next Generation? That's the one I watched. Uh, Maplethorpe and The Good Fight, and then she was also in an episode of Bull. Okay. With Michael Michael Weatherly. 
just like last week, we open on more nature porn of the Pacific Northwest. Uh, seriously, I want to move, even if I maybe get shot in the woods. Um, a scratched-up girl with blood under her nails is riding in a truck with what seems like her boyfriend, who keeps assuring her that it's all going to be okay. She just has to hold on a little bit longer, while also like gratuitously and grossly touching her arm. Um, seems a little sketch if she's got blood on her, but okay. Yeah, I was like, please stop touching her, thanks. Um, she just holds tight to her cross necklace. And, ooh, this is based on Stockholm Syndrome, which you know is my favorite, so I'm excited. Um, cut to the police station where a secretary is trying to convince an officer to have a Tootsie Roll Pop instead of a cigarette. Uh Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. The couple, question mark, question mark, <laughs> from the truck walk in and the girl starts rambling about a hunting accident and the gun just going off. I already don't believe this story. Um, Sam, the guy, has a bad cough. The officer tells the secretary to get him some cough medicine while I scream, it's the Rona at my television. <laughs> I will spit that out. <laughs> I am so happy. Um, the girl introduces herself as Robin and goes to talk to Sheriff Tootsie Roll. Um, Cotton candy, sweetest the- girl, let me see that Tootsie Roll. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I can do it. Um, uh, the girl, no, the officer gives her a jacket and then asks Robin what happened. She starts by talking about her husband how long they've been married, etc. She says they were celebrating their anniversary and her husband, Javier, convinced her to go camping. Flashback. Um, Javier is driving her on a surprise trip and gives her a gift of toilet paper, which she's not very excited about, but that's because it's not 2020 in this movie. Right. Well, I mean, the first anniversary is paper. So, like, yes. I don't see anything wrong with this. Mm-hmm. Romance is not uh, dead. He writes on it. He writes on it, may our marriage last a year for every piece. Oh. Um, then he surprises her with a, the cross necklace that she was clutching in the truck with Sam. It was his grandmother's. Um, sweet. Um, she ne- promises never to take it off. So they get out of the car and spin around in nature, all happy and young and in love. Um He tells her they need to be more careful out here because people get lost all the time. They go to a campsite, which is packed with people, which is like the opposite of camping. I think that sounds great. Communal Mm. camping in a house. Well, a hotel. I just want to stay in a fancy hotel. Remember when we went communal camping in a house in the woodlands? <laughs> that was so much fun. It was. I miss doing that. We got to do it again soon. Um, that was so much fun. And do you remember how much alcohol we bought? Oh, oh my, my god! I think and- I didn't think Andre and was how- ever going to recover. And comparatively, how little there was left over at the end of the right. Weekend. I don't know. There was fireball. It was bad. <laughs> um, 
Robin goes fishing and Javier sets up the campsite. When it starts to get dark, she runs back up and some creepy trench coat dude, who I think is Sam, stares at her. Um, She doesn't notice, though. Um, She and Javier roast marshmallows and dream about their future family. Um, The next morning, it's raining and Javier wakes up. wakes her up to tell her that they can't let the rain keep them from fishing. Um, Robin says she has a horrible, she had a horrible nightmare about not being able to find Javier in the woods. He laughs and they talk about El Cuco, which I guess is kind of like the Chupacabra or the Donculator or La La Llorona down here. Okay. Um, Sam has Oh, some other guy has told Jake about this. I didn't get that. I'm not talking to you, Siri. Um, okay, so um, in America, we call it Coco or the Coco. It's a um, equivalent of the bogeyman in um, Hispanophone and Lucifone countries. It's real creepy looking. He says, look. He says La Cuco. Yeah, so it translates several, like the Americanized is Coco, but it's La Cucuy or Cuckoo or, I mean, there's several So again, it's, it's like the Chupacabra slash the Donkey Lady slash yeah. La Llorona. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so Javier is like, hey, thanks for the fishing spot. And Sam's just randomly standing under the tree with a rifle, you know, cash. Like you do. Um. Yeah, Robin falls asleep near the river while Javier fishes, and when she wakes up, he's gone. She starts wandering around calling his name, but he was just packing up their stuff in the car. Oh, here's Sam. He's stuck in a mud hole. So Javier and Robin are going to help him get out of it. Um, They push the truck out, and Sam thanks them. He starts asking them about what they're out there for, etc. Um... Sam offers to show them a different spot. Javier doesn't want to go, but Robin's like, come on. Like, I promised your dad I would catch five fish. Like, let's just go. Okay. And and so they go. A little way up the road, Javier remarks, it feels like they're driving in circles. Finally, Sam stops and says he got turned around, but suggests that they camp there for the night. Robin again, like Javier again is like not super into it, but Robin's like, come on, like we don't want to miss the fish, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, we don't want to get lost. Um, so let's just stay here. So they see a deer and Sam's like, oh, I'm going to go bag me a deer. Cause I guess like hunting season isn't a thing. Um, <laughs> Javier follows behind him and Robin is like a little bit further behind them with her fishing bowl and tackle box. Cute little thing. No. A shot goes off, and we hear a man scream. Oh, I don't like Robin that. Runs, Robin runs up and finds Javier dead from a gunshot to the stomach. Not a fan. She looks up at Sam and then just takes the fuck off and starts running. Exactly what I would do, honestly. He, he follows, screaming that she's going to get lost in the woods. Robin tells the officer back in the present time, that if Sam hadn't been with her, she would have never been able to get out of the woods and he saved her life. So they call Robin's mom and interrupt her wedding planning business to come and get Robin from the police station. Um, Her mom runs in the police station to get her, 
Officer Tootsie Roll asks Mom to come back and talk to her. Robin begs her to please not leave her side. But Mom, of course, is like, it's totally fine. I'll be right there. There's a window. Like, you can see me. It'll be fine. Um, <clears throat> Officer Tootsie Roll says that it appears that the, it was a hunting accident, but they won't know until they get the autopsy back and go collect the evidence. Um, the mom is like, oh, what the fuck? Like, neither Robin nor Javier have guns or know how to shoot them. Mm-hmm. And so the officer explains what happened, according to Robin. Um, she tells mom to take Robin home and let her get some rest. Sam stops them on the way out and says he's sorry for everything. The mom is super, like, wary of him. But Sam speaks up again and says to Robin, quote, remember what I promised. I'm always going to be around keeping an eye on you and your mom. Ooh. And I was like, mm, nope, nope. nope. We're busy nope. that day. No, no, nope, no, no, no. Mom's like, oh, this was fun. Gotta go. Bye. Right. <laughs> Takes Robin. <laughs> Officer Tootsie Roll tells Sam they're going to put him up in a motel, but bright and early they're going to go out, and Sam's going to show them exactly what happened. Mom takes Robin home to lie down, and while she answers the phone, Robin looks out at the blinds and hears a voice say, Robin... No, again. Yep, just no. hard pass. Mom comes back to say that Javier's parents are on their way, but Robin cries and says no. <clears throat> she won't know what to say to them um, because this is all her fault. Robin lays down to sleep, but she has a nightmare. She wakes up and her mom is sleeping beside the bed, uh, and she gets up and pulls the bookshelf in front of the door before she lays back down. Uh, while this is like while she's doing this, she thinks her mom is asleep, but her mom like opens one eye and sees her. Mm. Um, the next morning, she wakes up and she and her mom talk about grief a little bit. Her mom tells her that she's strong and she's going to get through this, and then suggests that she takes a bath. She gets into the bathtub and then has a panic attack. Um, her mom is there, and Robin tells her that she doesn't think it was an accident. She thinks that Sam killed Javier on purpose. <clears throat> Poor thing. At the police, I know. At the police station, um, Sam is taking a polygraph about the shooting. Um, I don't think these people understand how polygraphs work because he keeps like expounding on the questions with details, and like that's not what you do. I thought you were going to tell me like he- they weren't asking any questions that mattered, like. Um, okay, so is your favorite, you said your favorite flavor of ice cream is mint chocolate chip? It's mint, you said mint chocolate chip? Okay, okay. That's a blue line. So, um, now did you say that uh, you are, in fact, um, five foot nine? No, that's a red line. That's right. You're five foot ten. Very good, sir. <laughs> <laughs> no, so they're like, they're asking, because polygraphs are based on yes or no questions, Right. right? So they ask him, um, first of all, they don't establish a good baseline because the first question they ask him is like, did you shoot Javier? Oh, oh, I almost canceled. And I was like, you're first to ask, like, is your name Sam? Right. Is your, like, um, but, and so then, but then like after he answers the question, he like goes on a soliloquy for like five minutes about the answer to his question. I'm like, this isn't. No, this is stupid. Um, 
He also says that Robin was flirting with him, which distracted him, which is A, super not true, and two, victim blaming. Right? Man, I hate Um, when somebody bats their eyelashes at me and I get so distracted, I kill another human being. I know. This is, I'm I'm a little bit wary about the real story because I feel like this is another one where... um, She's going to end up on the wrong side of history, RE, well, like victim blaming. So I was so upset by the book last week that I actually did not read her book this time. I used other sources of information because I didn't want to spend another week just destroying and rule and everything she's ever accomplished. Yeah. Um,. He says he didn't move the body, but Robin did. And I really hope Officer Tootsie Roll doesn't believe this fucking nonsense. Um, Robin and her mom go back to the police station. And Celeste, the mom, walks in and she's like, what the fuck? Like, this guy's a murderer. You better arrest him. And she's going crazy. Um, I like mom. The sheriff is like, Sam, you can go. But then... um, Sheriff, she pulls Robin and Mom into her office, telling them they need to just calm down. Oh, great. Um, Dear Officer Tootsie Roll, please reference our past 80 episodes where we've talked about (laughs) what happens when you say those words. I know. Yeah. um, So, Robin tells the sheriff that she thinks Sam held her hostage. The sheriff is like, wait, when exactly did all this happen? Because I was under the impression that this all happened yesterday. And Robin's like, no, it happened on Monday. And because they haven't established what day it was, it is now, then the sheriff's like, wait, that's five days ago. Sheriff, you are super good at your job. Yeah. Robin cries and says she doesn't know what happened to her. Um, we flash back again to she and Sam walking through the woods, quote unquote, lost. Sam tells her that he's super important, but he can't tell her why. And if she doesn't get firewood, she'll die. Um, and now it's like they're on a secret mission. And he's like her commanding officer. Mm-hmm. And I hate all of it. Yep. He then like leans into her ear and screams, attention, soldier. And she like takes off running because as it turns out, you shouldn't scream at someone who just witnessed a brutal murder. Okay, now you're just talking crazy talk. I know. Sam catches her and tells her that a random helicopter flying around above them is tracking him. And that's why he had to kill Javier. So they give... So, like, back in the present, they give Robin a polygraph, and they ask her a bunch of questions. The sheriff tells Robin and her mom that they can't arrest Sam because they don't have any physical evidence. Um, Plus, Sam passed his polygraph, and Robin did not. Oh, shit. Mom tells Robin to go get her a cup of coffee while she rips Sheriff Tootsie Roll a new asshole. Um... (laughs) The sheriff tells mom that she needs to get Robin some therapy. They're driving home and Robin suddenly starts freaking out about people following them and that they're going to kill them. Um, It turns out it's just the neighbors. Uh, Robin asks her mom if she thinks she's losing her mind. And of course the mom is like, no, of course not. Um, The state police calls Sheriff Tootsie Roll in the meantime and tell her to check her email because they sent over Sam's mile long rap sheet. 
Wait, so she got a phone call telling her to check her email? Yes. Like the most annoying thing that people do in my office. I had a supervisor in recent years, a.k.a. the school I just left, a.k.a. one of the reasons I left, um, who would Mm -hmm. send an email and then send a text to say that they had sent an email and then call my office phone to ask if I received the text. And I'm like, all you've got left at this point is a carrier pigeon. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I have people all the time who will send me emails and then like a minute, literally a minute later will call me and say, did you get my email? Nope. I'm like, no, bitch. (laughs) You know, I try to be nice, though, but it's like it's really difficult sometimes because I'm like, yes, I got your email. That's what email is for. That's I'm actually allowed to not open it for two minutes. Yes. I don't have to open it for the first five minutes after you send it. <laughs> um, so mom and Robin talk more about grief and moving on. And Rob, how Robin has to move on. Um, and not let Sam win. Robin's mom or Robin asked her mom to call Javier's parents so they can come over. Um, She gives them the necklace back. First of all, she has what I think are supposed to be bruises on her cheeks, but it just looks like black and purple eyeshadow in like perfect streaks, which is a little bit odd for stage makeup, I guess. Well, you know, I don't know where I was going with that. You weren't paying attention. Yeah. Thick streaks, stage makeup. I followed it all. But I was going somewhere and then had nowhere to go with it. So I just gave up. Yeah. Um, so she goes through the story with Javier's parents. And Javier's father is like, this is all your fault. And then they leave. That's really adult and mature. Like, I understand you're grieving, but so is she. Yeah. Next, we are at the funeral. Sheriff Tootsie Roll comes to talk to Robin and tell her that the secret organization Sam purported to be a part of shockingly doesn't exist. Was it just called the organization? Yes. (laughs) Good. It's from what was that episode the last time we saw? It was a the guy who had the three women locked in his house. He purported to be part of the organization. uh, uh, Ariel Castro. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, she now believes that Sham, that Sham, that Sam murdered Javier. And I'm like, yay, I guess. Too bad they just, like, let him go. Oops. Um, Sheriff asks Robin to be hypnotized so that she can recall more details, and she agrees. She flashes back to what happened that day. She tells the hypnotist that she didn't see Sam shoot Javier, But she does start to remember other things that he told her. How they were never lost. How every time they saw other people, he told her he would kill them if she ran away. Then he rapes her by a lake. Which, thanks, I hate that. Yeah, Um, I didn't sign up for for that, thanks. Yeah, she remembers how he took her to his quote-unquote shelter in the woods. And made her do, quote, horrible things over and over again. Things that Javier, things that I never did with Javier. Poor thing. I know. Um, 
he told her Javier died because of her. Um, she says it's all her fault, but the hypnotist assures her that it's not her fault, that there are evil people in the world, and she just happened to have the misfortune of meeting one of them. Um, she is sleeping next to Sam one night, and she wakes up saying, Javier, I had the worst dream, but it's stupid Sam laying next to her. He tells her that if she tried to run away he in the woods, the woods would just swallow her up while she recites Psalm 23. So, excellent. Um, Sam tells her that he was religious, too, until God gave up on him because killing people is all he's trained to do by the organization. Oh, great. Thanks. She says he can still change. There's still time. And then she says she's sad about Javier. And he says that she should be really getting over that by now and then talks about how someday he's just going to go crazy and he really hopes that she's not there when it happens. It's been 24 whole hours. What are you caught up on? Yeah. Um, The hypnotist goes to Sheriff Tootsie Roll and tells her that Robin has Stockholm Syndrome to the point where Sam was able to plant false memories in her brain, which is why she failed her polygraph. Um, And he promised her a reward, which, you know, was just like her life. Um, if she stuck with the ideas that Sam was putting in her head. Well, that was very kind of him. Yeah. Sheriff Tootsie Roll says, so I have a witness who was brainwashed into believing it was an accident. I've got bupkis in forensics and to top it all off, my suspect is a drifter with no known address. (laughs) Okay. I'll take that. Bupkis was my favorite. I haven't heard that word in a long time. Right. Back in Robin's memory, she wakes up and she's going to smash Sam in the head, but she can't do it. Um, Sam comes back to the police station with his lawyer. Hooray. Great. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, uh, So Sheriff takes them into an interrogation room to chat. Sam's attorney says it's come to his attention that Robin is slandering Sam, alleging that he kidnapped her, etc. Sam then reiterates that he just wants to clear this whole accident up, and Robin saw the whole thing. Uh, Sam's lawyer starts posturing about maybe Robin's just upset because she had sex with Sam and now wants to look like the victim. Oh, fuck off. So the sheriff stands up nose to nose with the lawyer and says, quote, if you're saying Robin had comfort sex with your client hours after her husband was killed, well, that's just horseshit. How dare you walk in here and speak this way about a young woman who your client tortured and abused? Get it, Tootsie Roll. She says Robin Rivera recanted her story and says your client killed her husband in cold blood, and I believe her. Uh, Sam asked the sheriff to please listen to him. He didn't do anything on purpose. They got lost, blah, 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 I'm bored. Um, Sam's lawyer asks if Robin failed her test, and Sam just smirks, and I hate both of their stupid faces. Mom drives Robin to the apartment she shared with Javier. Uh, Robin says she needs to go in alone, and Mom waits about mm, 20 seconds before following her. Great. then guess who steps out of the woods just as Robin looks out the window? Uh, Slender Man. 
Oh, man, I was really hoping you'd say Ed McMahon was a giant check. <laughs> Try to change it up every once in a while. I am but back no, to it was Sam. <laughs> um, it was Sam. So Robin and her mom have another heart to heart about her. And Robin says she should have tried to run away, but she couldn't. And that makes her a terrible person. And her mom says... When someone violates you like that, it is never your fault. So what you're um, telling me is the mom is the true hero of this movie. Amen. Um, so Robin says that she just absolutely can't testify. Um, the sheriff, meanwhile, gets some good information because there was there were no powder burns on Javier. So there's no way that Sam was handing him the rifle and it just, quote unquote, went off. She calls mom to tell her with that about that evidence and Robin's test. Oh, she calls mom to tell her that with that evidence and Robin's testimony, he'll be going away forever. But mom breaks the news that Robin is not going to testify. And I was like, damn, no wonder the sheriff smokes. Right. <laughs> um, mom puts together a lovely picnic for she and Robin. They talk about what she wants to do regarding the future. Robin asks how it's possible that they haven't caught Sam yet. And mom tells her she has her whole life ahead of her and she can't just hide forever. Robin says she can't afford her apartment, so she's going to stay with her mom for a while. And she's working on finding a job and they start looking at course catalogs for school. One day at work, Robin is taking the trash out and guess who sneaks up behind her? Ed McMahon with a giant check. Sam. Damn, how did I and get I it wrong there twice in too, a row? I know. I knew there was too much time in this movie uh, left for like the, this to be solved, but right. I'm still disappointed. <laughs> um, he says he's there to help and he can make it all go away. He says he didn't do anything to her. He saved her life, but what happened to Javier was an accident. Robin totally calls him out on his bullshit. And Sam starts laughing at her and saying he's the one that passed the lie detector after all. She runs away. The sheriff hears about this and she is pissed. Yeah, she is. So she rounds up the boys and they set out to find Sam. Um, they take Robin and Mom to a motel and station a deputy right outside the door. They get into an argument over whether Robin is going to testify we flash back again to Robin in captivity. Sam has a fever, so he starts whining about how he's sick and he's totally going to die. And I'm like, ugh, I hope you die. <laughs> um, Robin tells him that if they go to town, she'll totally lie and say it was an accident because she would never, he would never, he would totally never hurt them. Like, never, never, never. Um, so they go to town. Oh, wait. Mm -hmm. I lost my place. Then he just makes her repeat like that it was an accident over and over again while they walk through the woods back to his truck so he can go to the doctor and get some medicine for his man cold. Good. Back in the motel room, mom gives her a pep talk about testifying again. So in the present time, it's morning and Sam is in his little hidey hole hut. Um, he has Polaroids of Robin nailed all over to just like amp up the creep factor to 9,000. Great, I hate it. Um, Sheriff and her squad come up behind him to arrest him. 
he comes out and says he's going to sue them for, quote, false arrest, police brutality, and slander okay, because they Karen, have nothing sit on him. Down. Yeah. But she just cuffs him and they take him to jail. He says he they can't protect Robin forever. Robin takes Javier to Flowers in the cemetery and talks to him about how scared she is to testify. While she's talking to Javier's grave, um, his dad comes up behind her and listens. He kneels down beside her and tells her he was wrong about her and she will always have a place in their family. He he asks her for forgiveness and she just says there's nothing to forgive. Um, she just has to make sure the man who hurt Javier pays for what he did. I guess because this is a small town police station, Robin and her mom pull up to talk to the sheriff as they're taking Sam off to court. Robin says she's decided to testify and Sam laughs at her because she can't get her story straight. Then she gets in his face and tells him her story is going to put him in jail for the rest of his life. Bye. Robin, mom, and the sheriff have a moment and then it's off to court. And that is the end. Um, the final text says, quote, the testimony in the Stockholm Syndrome case on brainwashing was a landmark in legal precedent. Conduct to cover up a crime is evidence of the of guilt. And his in this instance, the evidence that was covered up was a woman's memory. Wow. The end. The end. <laughs> that actually, like, it sounds like good. Like, Lifetime did two good movies in a row, it sounds like. They did. All right. So... As I mentioned, there is a book about this case. I got so heated last week and also just kind of ran out of time um, that I opted for something arguably even better than the writing of Anne Rule. That is season nine, episode 10 of Forensic Files. Um, awesome! Also an article from Distractify and a couple of other places. And I want to say at the top, um, the people in this case, their names are not pronounced like I thought they were at any point. Her name is C-A-N-D-R-A, which I would have pronounced Sandra. It is 100%. I would pronounce Kandra. C, and it's 100% Kandra. Um, and then um, the husband's name, or the husband went by... J-U-L-I-O, which I would have called Julio, and it is 100% Julio. So, um, this episode... God, this was the Pacific Northwest, wasn't it? (laughs) This episode (laughs) of Forensic Files was called Head Games, and just those two names alone was a head game. Um, So... It opens with a really oogie fact to me. Kendra Torres was 16 and her husband, Julio Torres, was 21. Ooh, I don't love that. I don't love that. And it was their first anniversary. So they'd gotten married at 15 and 20. And I just, I teach 15 and 16 year olds and they're all smelly and they forget everything and, like, that's just too young to be married. I own a 16-year-old. <laughs> and they're all smelly. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, um, 
In her interview, Kendra said, It was pretty much love at first sight. My father wanted us to get married at 15 because he could see the relationship heating up. And I don't mean to judge, but really, like, ugh, dad, stay out. No, dad. Like, no, dad. No. I'm from the South where the dad of a 15 year old, the only line they have is something about the guns that they own. Like, that's just a thing. Um, oh. Aaron's got something. I started getting harassed. I started getting harassed about when I was going to get married when I was about 15 or 16, but not by my parents. Oh, yeah. All right. So um, it was July 23rd, 1976. They'd been celebrating their first wedding anniversary by hiking in the Mount Hood National Forest in Oregon. The two had been enjoying the wonders of nature and fishing in the river when they came across a stranger who seemed friendly at first, but things changed quickly. The couple weren't catching any fish, so they asked the nearby fisherman for advice. Kandra said that the first time the fisherman saw her, he lit up. She said she wasn't surprised. Quote, I was young, attractive. I was turning heads. And Kandra, that's the kind of self-confidence I'm bringing into 2020. Sonic Talk. was that english (laughs) (laughs) that's the kind of self-confidence that i wish i had right um so thomas brown the fisherman said that he knew a spot further up the river that had recently been stocked with fish the site was several miles away but and by the time they got there it was dark so they set up camp and spent the night three days later kandra emerged from the woods Um, went to the sheriff's office and phoned home with awful news. Um, Quote, she said, Julio's dead. It was a terrible accident. Will you come and get me? Kendra's mom, Lola, recalled to forensic files. She said the three men had gone fishing and later did some hunting. They saw a deer and Julio prepared his rifle to shoot. He gave the loaded and cocked weapon to Tom to take the first shot. But in the pass off, the gun fired and killed Julio instantly. Kandra screamed and Rusty attacked Tom because of Kandra's panic. Oh, I skipped the part where their dog was with them, Rusty. Um, I'm going to say, who the hell is Rusty? Yeah, sorry. Um, I apparently didn't make it into my notes. So they took their dog with them. And he had been... Um, because down here, down here in Texas, that could be a man <laughs> or a dog. Right. Um, so he, in fact, had been Kandra's dog since she was a child. So... Um, like Rusty was one of those dogs that like was a very in tune with her, with his owner. Cause they'd been together forever. And, um, wait, so when Does Rusty survive, just answer me. No. Damn it. Paul. So she said that, um, how dare you kill the dog in the story that you made up? <laughs> right? I'm blaming Anne on this one. I'm very upset right now. <laughs> so, um, Kandra sc- said that she screamed, and so that so Rusty attacked Tom in her panic, like like to protect Kandra. So Tom shot and killed Rusty as well. Then, oh, well, you leave the dog alone. I know. Then Tom told Kandra that he had priors and he didn't want to tell the police about this. So he gave Kendra two options. She could either hike back through these unknown trails alone or stay with him and remain safe. So Kendra stayed with Tom. 
Um, she was confused and scared and had no way to get back home. She had no license and had never learned how to drive a stick shift, which was the vehicle that Julia and her had ridden up in. She said um, she felt staying with Tom was the safest option. But two nights later, Tom reconsidered this and they went to tell the police what happened. He told the police the story of the accident and Candor corroborated all of it. Then Tom cooperated with the officers and led them to where Julio's body was. Detectives asked Tom to submit to a lie detector test, which he did willingly and passed. The police ruled Julio's death an accident. Though Kendra told investigators that she had witnessed her husband's death and that it was an accidental shooting, her mother started to have doubts of the story. Um, and Lola, just like in immediately, uh huh, and just like in your movie, Lola, the mom, is kind of the hero. She said she knew. <laughs> And this made me laugh and it shouldn't have made me laugh, but it's just the way it was said. She explained that she knew that the love Cassandra had for Rusty, the dog and Julio, the husband mentioned in that order. And that something seemed off of the story because she should have, she should have behaved differently because of how much she loved her dog. And that was what Lola said. And I was like, Lola, all the things you didn't say are so important to me. You say it best when you say nothing at all, Lola. Amen. <laughs> so, um, she said that it sounded like a bad recording being played over and over. Um, so a few days later, Kendra's story changed drastically. When she returned the apartment she shared with Julio, she said she fell apart. So she called her mother and begged forgiveness, saying that she didn't actually see the shot and she didn't know if it was an accident or not. In her corrected story, she said that she was at the campsite alone when she heard a shot. Tom came running after the shot, but Julio was not in tow. Kendra got up to run to where he had been when she heard another shot. When she turned around, Rusty had been shot in the head and was on the ground beside her. So in her story... No, fuck you! Uh-huh. So in her not story, you, Rusty... But... No, I know, not me. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think you were mad at me. I didn't write this story. I'm just reciting the facts. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty mad right now, just in general. So Fair enough. Um, let's see. She said, quote, I turned around and I looked at him and I said, you shot my dog. And he looked at me with a big smile and said, I shot your husband too. Kendra told Forensic Files. Nope. She said, at that second, my life flashed before me. I was 16 years old and I was going to die. There was no one that could help me. My dog that I'd had since childhood was dead. My husband, whom I loved, he's telling me he's dead. And, I bu- and I'm up in the mountains with a murderer. I'm next. Obviously, whatever he wants with me, he's going to do. And then he's going to kill me. And I knew that I was going to die. Tom then made her hike for... This is where she's a better woman to, than me. Because I'd have been like, cool, shoot me. I'm not doing this. Yeah. Um, so Tom then made her hike four hours further into the woods. He stopped by the river to get a drink. And then he raped Kendra there for the first time. Also not doing it to go hiking. Right. No. <laughs> Hiking's canceled. No. I think part of the thing is, though, 
We're from Texas, home of three million degrees. You have about a two and a half week window you can hike in um, before the rains come in and kill you or the heat comes in and kills you. And so we would much rather just be near a pool. Okay, but I enjoy hiking. Do I like you? to go I hiking. Do not. I do. Um, but I'm not going to go hiking, traipsing through the woods in the Pacific Northwest with some crazy murderer. Oh, see, I thought you were just saying like, you were canceling hiking. Do whatever he wants to me and then kill me. Gotcha. No. No, I thought you were saying you are canceling hiking. And I'm like, I'm on board with this. No, he's already killed my husband and my dog. Uh, I am... Like, I'm not then just going to go with him and do whatever he wants and then just die later. Right. Um, Fuck that. So, over the next three days, Tom raped her repeatedly. Throughout those days, she said the only comfort she found was from reading aloud from the Bible. And something about this touched Tom and he decided against killing Kandra. Instead, he came to her and cried and said, I didn't kill your husband on purpose. It was an accident. He said the reason he brought Kandra up to the river was that he was afraid to go back to prison. And oh, fuck you. Not you, obviously. That's disgusting. Yep. So over the, I hate it. Over the next several days, he repeatedly told her that Julio's death was an accident and he agreed to let her go, but only if she said she witnessed the shooting and that it was an accident. To see if she was telling the truth... So, so now we're to like where Kendra has recounted her, her, the real story, the official story to the police. Mm -hmm. So to see if she was telling the truth, Kendra was given a lie detector test, but she failed. So investigators turned to forensic evidence and that's when everybody's favorite forensic files music started to play like that under synth that tells you they're about to tell you about science and probably luminol. They're going to explain what luminol (laughs) is for the nine millionth time. Ah. Investigators intended to look at the bullet entry wound on, on Rusty. That's where the first big difference in their stories was. And in, oh, in, in Kandra's version, Rusty had been shot from behind, but in Tom's, he had been shot head on um, because he said it was self-defense. Unfortunately, though, Rusty's right. body had not been autopsied and he'd been married at a mass grave for animals. So instead, they looked at the wounds of Julio. I know. He deserves a soldier's funeral. Poor puppy. A 21-gun salute. And let's just throw... Very upset. Let's just throw, like, milk bones, because I don't think I want to bring guns to the funeral of a dog who was shot. Okay. Uh, 21 milk bone salute. I'm on board. Perfect. Um, Man, we could just solve all the world's problems. Let's run for president, but not like president and vice president. You and I together are one entity. Than our we president. Are president. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, the officers, let's see. So instead they had to look at the wounds of Julio. They used a trajectory analysis. I told you in our Patreon episode this week that I'd actually looked up a lot of like what that entails. Um, they were suspicious. Fighting. Of, yeah. It was, uh, lots of diagrams and colorful lines and arrows. Um, totally. So, the trajectory analysis couldn't reveal anything more than the path through which the bullet traveled. Um, and so they had to dig deeper to see, like, how could they use this to get there? Um, because the officers believed Kendra's story, even though she'd failed the polygraph. And they were suspicious of Tom, even though he'd passed his polygraph. So they were kind of at an impasse. 
So then they brought right. in a forensic psychologist. He interviewed Kendra for several hours to discern if she had any underlying mental illness that could have ruled her as incompetent. Instead, he began to notice similarities between her and stories of prisoners of war who returned from the Korean War. Those um, prisoners of war were isolated, beaten, brutalized, and would often begin to accept the, um, the point of view of their captors, some even testifying against their own countries. Um, back then it was called brainwashing. Um, and like, it was just a broad term brainwashing, but today we know it as Stockholm syndrome based on the Stockholm bank heist. Um, right. In order to make sure that she wouldn't snitch about his misdeeds to the police, um, Tom had begun brainwashing Kendra. Um, and so she, so she succumbed to Stockholm syndrome. Clearly I copy and pasted that from distractify. Um, <laughs> so Stockholm syndrome is a psychological response to being held in captivity. It occurs when hostages or abuse victims bond with their captors or aggressors through physical or emotional manipulation. The bond can either mm-hmm. be positive feelings of empathy and the illusion of romantic interest or negative feelings as a result of abuse and fear. Um, so Tom Brown had basically brainwashed Kendra into keeping her silence by threatening her safety. He set in motion wow. a plan to keep her hostage. Um, and Forensic Files and Distractify both said that this could be broken down into a series of four stages. The mm-hmm. first stage is traumatic shock. Clearly the murder of Julio and Rusty were the traumatic event that sent Kendra into that shock. Not to mention then being right. driven further into the woods and raped repeatedly. She had more than enough reason to experience traumatic shock. Um, yes. The next part is breaking down of self, also known as isolation. Um, mm-hmm. So she said the only thought that rang through her head at this time was if I do everything he says, then I will survive. Um he was slowly breaking her will to the point that she remembers quote, that man would have made me do anything and I would have done it. Um, Tom Brown had assaulted her, not just physically, but also psychologically Uh, a systemic attack on her sense of self and core belief system. Kendra faced an identity crisis um, amidst leaving her exhausted, confused and disoriented. Brown was a master manipulator and had revealed to Torres that he had in fact studied mind control, which I want to know, did he actually, or like, does he wear a fedora and think that he can pick up chicks at the bar? Probably he watched that VH1 show. Good, good. That's what I'm hoping. (laughs) Excellent. Um, he made her sleep in a sleeping bag with him and warned her that any attempts at escaping would result in death. Um, The fear rendered her not only vulnerable, but extremely weak to her captor's assault. She eventually reached her breaking point where her sense of self had been so distorted that she had no clear understanding of who she was or what exactly was happening to her. But she knew she was in danger and not obliging to her assault to her assailant's demands would only prove disastrous for her. So she had gotten so beaten down through all this that she couldn't actively recall that the murder of her husband was the traumatic event. Oh my God. Yeah. So then the next step in all this is to create a bond by the possibility of salvation or the promise of a reward. Um, So once she was completely submissive, Tom Brown 
initiated the next step of the brainwashing process on day two of her captivity. So all of that happened on day one. Like the breaking down of self was all in a 24 hour period. Um, okay. So on day two, which was July 25th, 1976, um, Tom Brown told Kandra that she could go back and um, that he had killed her husband by accident. He said that Julio was looking through a pair of binoculars while he'd been holding the gun they exchanged their equipment only for the gun to accidentally fire, killing um, Julio in the process. Being held captive. Sure, Jan. Right. <clears throat> um, so being held captive is an overwhelming feeling that you would do pretty much anything to stop, um, even if that means giving into a lie or latching onto a lie. Um, so he tried to make mm-hmm. it... He tried to make it seem like that he had saved her life and so she should be grateful and there's the possibility of salvation. Like, I will let you go when you understand that this mm-hmm. was not intentional and you're so right. lucky that I saved your life, dot, dot, dot. And yeah. so... Which to that I say, go fuck yourself. Yep. And then the last step in um, Stockholm Syndrome is rebuilding the victim victim's identity or also called indoctrination indoctrination. I just try to add an extra syllable mm-hmm. just cause I'm extra. Um, yeah, you are. The worst part is, is I panicked as I typed this word last night that I was going to say that. So I practiced saying indoctrination four times, but then it snuck up on me. So I had to say indoctrination just to prove to myself That's that I am precious. still an idiot. Um, so, so now with, um, Kandra in a confused state of mind. Tom had her exactly where he wanted her. On day three, his treatment towards her changed and his aggressive nature had mellowed. He offered physical and mental comfort in correlation to the new belief system that she'd involuntarily adapted to. He agreed to drive her down the mountain, but halfway through the ride, he changed his mind and suddenly turned around. So by day four, Brown had managed to convince Kandra of her husband's accidental death um, and it was so ingrained, like it was ingrained in her mind that it had been an accidental death. Um, so this was all part of her, of his effort to make his voice louder than her actual memories. So following her three day captivity, Tom Brown drove both of them into the city with the aim of reporting Julio's accidental death to the authorities, but not before making a pit stop at his lawyer's office. Right. I mean, that's where I go. Right. Um, when I accidentally shoot someone, so it, right to my lawyer. Right. So it was evident by this move, obviously, that he had a record of committing crimes. Together with his lawyer, Brown and um, Kendra Torres reported her husband's death to the Clackamas County Police in Orlando, in Oregon. I almost said in Orlando, like I shift coasts real fast. <laughs> Fucking Florida, man. <laughs> um. They both underwent a polygraph test. I talked about that. So because of this diagnosis of Stockholm syndrome, Kandra's polygraph test was considered inconclusive. Um, She had a marred view of the world and even Kandra admitted that it was easy to believe the things that Tom told her mostly out of self-preservation, not just listen and Mm -hmm. accept what he'd said, but to believe them. And that's what ultimately saved her life. She feels. Um, right. So since now they can throw out the polygraph, they have a reason to throw out her failed polygraph, um, which of right. course polygraphs are 
um, not held in a court of law, but um, yeah, they're not even admissible, but right. But wasn't it a different time? Well, so the, I think that was more recent. The district attorney on this forensic files who had been the district attorney on the case said that's the reason that they're inadmissible in court. So I don't know if that was because this episode was in the 80s. I don't know if that was a current statement or if he was referring to at that moment. Um, ah, gotcha. Okay. So, um, but have, being able to throw out this meant that they could bring in some more forensics examiners and pursue that his had been a fake pass. Um, right. So a firearms examiner was called to test Tom's story against forensic evidence. He reevaluated the trajectory studies and he found that the level of entry was nearly impossible for it to be an accidental shot. So um, the trajectory showed that the gun had to be held pretty level because it passed like basically in a straight line through Julio's head. Oh my God. Uh huh. Um, so it basically had to have been aimed. Um, if the shot had an accidental shot, as described by Tom, would have entered the bottom of the skull near the jaw and exited the top diagonally. And so, Ooh. um, also the medical examiner found no gunpowder residue around the entrance holes. So, um, Forensic scientists ran tests over and over to see how far away a gun must be fired not to leave gunpowder residue. They determined that Mm -hmm. the rifle had to be at least three feet away from Julio to not leave any residue, meaning the gun could not Mm -hmm. have accidentally discharged while they were passing it off in close quarters, as Tom had stated it happened. Right. Um, So on this evidence alone, Tom Brown was arrested and charged with murder. The district attorney said, though, that he began to worry. There was forensic evidence, not a lot. In fact, there was a big lack of evidence, and that's what the case was built on. There was no gunpowder residue. So that's why we think it was him, or that's why we think it was intentional. Uh Like, so the fact that there was very little to go on was what they were building this case on. Um, Right. Also, he knew that Kandra had told two versions of the story. So she seemed like an unreliable witness and that um, Tom's defense attorney could bring that up. Um, right. And then he said, and even if the jury believed her, she hadn't seen the murder happen. So she couldn't give an eyewitness account. Right. So um, while Tom had, was arrested and being held, he did the our favorite thing for sociopaths to do. He represented himself in court? No, he bragged to his cellmate. Oh, great. Uh Uh-huh. You idiot. He told his cellmate that he was going to beat this case because he'd passed his polygraph and that they couldn't get a conviction because Kandra wasn't emotionally stable enough to hold up in court. He bragged about playing games with her mind. Dumb, dumb. Uh Uh-huh. And then he said that when he got off, he'd kill Kandra and the prosecutors. And even if he did get convicted, he boasted, he'd only get seven years and then paroled. Then he'd get out and kill Kandra and kill the district attorney and kill her person personal lawyer sure so uh, needless to say right so needless to say the testimony of the cellmate was submitted because he got a few years off of his sentence and um the police got what they wanted um so Kandra actually was able to stand trial and um 
to give deliver her testimony with confidence. Um, she even held up well against the um, defense attorney. And Tom told his lie. And <laughs> the district attorney made him show how the gun was positioned to have shot Julio that way. And so he made this like right. big mockery of in court of like, well, he passed it to me like this. And he like held his hand over oh, his head. God. Like, like everyone passes a hunting rifle over your head. Like, oh. <laughs> honey, no. And then as it fell, it shot. Cause at this point he'd seen the trajectory and knew that he had to come up with something. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, that's a thing. Right. Um, so Tom was so confident in his ability to win his case that he actually waived his right to a jury trial. He, um, Oh my God. Uh-huh, he elected to have two judges instead. And, um, great. So there was nobody to convince because the judges were like, nah, dude. So he was found um, very quickly Mad found bro. guilty and sentenced to life in prison. And even though the Good. district attorney is retired now, or like at the time of that forensic files, I don't, um, I don't know how long this has gone on. Cause there's not like a Wikipedia page or anything for me to right. get updates. But um, at the time of that forensic files, even though the district attorney was retired, he c- appears to every parole hearing of um, Tom Brown to make sure that he doesn't get released on parole. Awesome. That's a good DA right there. Right. Um, Kendra went on and got remarried and is living a happy life. And um, she was beautiful in this episode of forensic files. And uh, again, special shout out to Lola, who was the hero in every case because moms can be heroes. And you, Erin, yes, are a hero. Thank you. I try my best. Your kid is turning out exceptionally well. Oh, he's too smart for me. Well. You want him? I'll give him to you for a fair price. I got $3.42 in my bank account. So is that a fair price? No. Okay. I could probably find too good for that. I could probably eight find eight more cents if you want a solid three fifty. No. <laughs> I right. need like a zillion dollars for him because he's probably gonna cure cancer or something crazy. Oh, you know what he might do? So I was reading recently about um some genetic geneticists that couldn't figure out how different proteins were folded, but they needed it to advance their research. And when they got Mm -hmm. stuck, they just um, partnered with MIT's um, video game program. And the Mm -hmm. geniuses at MIT created a video game that was folding proteins, but they called it something else. And within like two hours, gamers had figured out how to solve these complicated protein folds that the scientists could never figure out. That is amazing. I love that. So do we have any idea what we're watching next week? No. Great. Um, Do we want to try to find that Diane Downs movie? Uh, Let's do that. Let me try to find it in the next week. Let's do something else in the meantime. Then I'll, we'll have to go after that. Okay. If I can find it, please. All right. Uh, so next week, 
see here. My AirPods are about to die. They just gave me a warning. Ooh. Um. Ooh, I think I have the Lizzie Borden movie. Oh, yeah. Let's. Is it Lizzie Borden Grabbed Knacks? Is that the name of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I had that one saved for a while. That's a good one. Yeah, and there's a lot of distance on that one. Yes. I, every once in a while, need a case that's a long time ago. Because, like, me too. the recent ones get real hard for me. Yeah, they do. Well, this one's a little bit further away. Right. The one we did tonight. It is. But, yeah, true. Lizzie Borden is uh, very far away. All right. Well, next week we will um, talk about Lizzie Borden. And then we will, Yay. in the spirit of talking about old things that have turned into, like, urban legends... We will also look directly into our webcams and we will recite Bloody Mary 40 times while drinking Bloody Marys. Um, Great. Because nothing is, nothing bad is bound to happen with that situation. No, not at all. <laughs> we still need to do our Instagram with our Snoop Dogg Yes, wine. I haven't been able to find it, but I think that the kind of kitschy wine, wine store up the road for me will have it. Yes, awesome. All right. Let's do it. Well, we are so glad that you hung out with us today. And um, we've been having a lot of fun over at Patreon. We just wrapped up Aaron's. um, Well, we had kind of a four-part series on Tupac and and Notorious B.I.G. And so Aaron just wrapped up Biggie. And um, next week. Not next week, because yours is next week. Right. The week after, I'm going to cover the Jody Arias documentary that was on Lifetime two weeks Oh, yeah. Ago. That was the thing I didn't add in my notes. I'm glad you said documentary. So, um, Kandra did an update this month on uh, Elizabeth Smart um, docuseries. Yes, I didn't get to watch it. Mm-hmm. And so, that's on Lifetime as well. And I did not get a chance to watch that either. Um Okay. But, I'll see if I can find it and do that for Patreon too. So. Okay. Um, I was just saying it had really great reviews. Um, so if anyone is interested in watching that and getting another update from Kandra, um, I read some of the transcripts from it and it looked very good. And I love everything Elizabeth Smart does. Yes, me too. Big fans of the Smart family. Well, Elizabeth Smart. I don't know about her family because I don't know them. Right. <laughs> Um, well, do you want to tell the beautiful people where they can find us? Uh, yeah, find us on um, Instagram at Lifetime Sentence, on uh, Twitter at Life Sentence Pod. We're at Facebook.com slash Lifetime Sentence. Our show notes and other good stuff are at LifetimeSentence.com. You can email us at Lifetime Sentence Podcast at gmail.com. And definitely go find our Patreon, patreon.com slash Lifetime Simmons. We're having a great time over there. And we have merch, which I don't know the link to off the top of my head. But uh, I'll put it in the show notes so you can just click there. Absolutely. You're the best. Big smile. <laughs> All right. Well, um, until next time, guys, girls, everybody, don't forget, I almost said to wash your hands. Because that's apparently important too. Don't forget to eat your vegetables.
Charge your phone. <laughs> and apparently wash your hands. I'm very concerned about your, your hygiene hands. today. <laughs> Wear a mask. Bye. Bye. This has been Lifetime Sentence, where the truth really is stranger than fiction. Thanks for listening.